0: When I walk around, when I'm on a mission to get to somewhere, my default face typically is not a smile. That's why I had to work so hard at it. I had to be really intentional about it. I had to be really deliberate about it. But I was like, man, what could I possibly be missing out on if I just made myself more available, more open, more amiable because I changed my countenance? Well, hey there, if we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just in their iteration of how that mission comes to life. Well, we're continuing on in our faith at work series. And the entire thesis of this series is that work is not a place for our faith to be concealed. Rather, work is an opportunity for our faith to be revealed. And it's within that statement that we are looking at five ways that our faith can be revealed in and through our work. But before we do a high level run through of those five ways, I want to remind you of the criteria that I used and kind of applied to to the creation of this content. Number one, I said that I want everything we teach within this content to be accessible to anyone here and now. So nothing that we teach as we go throughout this series is going to be related to your circumstance, to where you are on an org chart, to the culture of the organization that you're in, or the stage of the business that you're running or leading. It's accessible to anyone everywhere right now. We want it to be absolutely practical and applicable where you are today. Number two, I really wanted it to be more about individual change than organizational change. So often it it can be really easy when you listen to content like this to say, I need to change the structure around me. And what is actually probably more helpful is to say, I need to change the structure within me. And when I change the structure within me, the structure around me starts to get a whole lot better. And so we're going to focus way more on what you can do individually that will create an impact organizationally. And then finally, number three is more of a warning than criteria. These get harder as we go. And so we started in the last episode with things that were very practically applicable. And as we continue on, in this series, it's going to get a little bit more principle-based, it's going to get a little bit more conceptual, and it might even get a little bit more philosophical, because it really represents the undergirdings and some of the real foundations of the Christian faith. And so let's review high-level what the five ways are that we can reveal our faith in and through our work. In the first episode, we talked about excellence, and within that episode, we highlighted the fact that quality is part of your testimony. Today, we're going to talk about countenance, and then we're going to dive into confidence, obedience, and dependence. So today, we're discussing the topic of countenance, and that can be kind of a theological, big, fancy word, but what does countenance actually mean? Let's define our terms. It's appearance or facial expression. The face as an indication of mood, emotion, or character. So put very simply, it's what you look like. And to kind of lay the foundation for the content that we're going to teach and walk through through today, I wanted to start by telling you a story of a little social experiment I did. This was prior to me starting my own business. I worked for a rather large company. By the time I left, it was almost a 1000 people. And we all worked in the same building and no one was working remote. So you saw so many faces every single day. And there was a particular day where I was thinking about this topic of countenance and thinking about the idea of how your facial expression makes an impact on other people. And I just decided to run a social experiment because I knew I was going to be walking from the sixth floor in the corner, which was the top floor, all the way down to the lunchroom, which was on the first floor. And I knew that in that journey, I was going to have several interactions, right? I was going to walk past people's desks. I was going to get on the elevator. I was going to get off the elevator. I was going to see people at lunch. I was going to go get my lunch. And then ultimately I was going to walk past a bunch of lunch tables to sit down and have lunch. And so I decided to run a little bit of a social experiment. And I said, in this journey, What if I made my default face a smile and just saw what happened? And I didn't want to be creepy or weird about it. I just said, what if I just walked around with a little bit of pep in my step and and I just held my posture up high, I looked approachable and I just had some light in my eyes and and smiled at people. And and what if I committed to doing that for this journey? And I thought that something might happen. What surprised me is exactly what happened and the degree to which it happened. Because almost immediately as I started making the journey from the sixth floor down to the first floor, it was like almost immediately people started smiling back. It's like when I smiled at people, they would smile back. I was like, okay, well, that's kind of interesting. And then what's crazy is the minute I got on the elevator, someone initiated a conversation with me, which didn't always happen. It's not like that was the norm. It was almost like I made eye contact with them. I was obviously smiling and they immediately said something. And as a result, I met more people on that elevator ride. I met every single person that was on the elevator. We all introduced ourselves to each other. And as a result, opportunities literally opened. It wasn't in the elevator. It was actually After getting off the elevator, I had a conversation with someone that started talking to me. And then we started talking about, oh, man, this is what I'm working on. What are, what are you working on? And, and an opportunity open to, to meet up later to discuss how we could collaborate on those things. And, and that was all within like a two-minute walk from the sixth floor down to the first floor. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. Now, certainly not all of that happened because my default face was a smile. But I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, a lot of that happened because I just decided Decided to make my default face a smile. And so immediately one of the questions I asked is, like, what have I been doing? Because I'll tell you, when I walk around, when I'm on a mission to get to somewhere, my default face typically is not a smile. That's why I had to work so hard at it. I had to be really intentional about it. I had to be really deliberate about it. But I was like, man, what could I possibly be missing out on if I just made myself more available, more opened, more amiable because I changed my countenance, because I changed my appearance or facial expression, because I changed my face as an indication of mood, emotion, or character. Now, you could hear that story and say, okay, I get the point. It will benefit me to smile more. And I would actually say that that's probably true. It will benefit you to smile more. That is practically probably very helpful, but it's not necessarily The part of this episode that's spiritually valuable. Because remember, in this series, the question we're not asking is, what are the practical hacks that will help me in my career? And quite frankly, smiling more is a practical hack that will make you more effective in your career. But that's not the question we're answering in this series. The question that we are really deliberately focusing on as we walk through this series is, what are the ways that my faith Can be revealed in my work. And what I will tell you is that paying attention to the way you look is a means of revealing your faith. Because think about it. If you always look gloomy, dim, down, and depressed, or if you always look stressed, frazzled, and frantic, you think anyone's going to know about your faith? You think anyone's going to be like, man, I don't know what that guy believes, but he just looks stressed all the time and I want to get in on what he's doing. No, right? They're probably like, I don't want to be like that man. I don't want to be like that woman. And so it's really important that we have a positive disposition, that we have a smile on our face, that we have energy in our eyes. But even Even that is just not taking it far enough because have you ever seen someone plaster a smile on their face that was fake as a tactic, as a strategy, or as a cover-up? Have you ever felt internally distressed, depressed, and stressed but put a smile on your face that you knew deep down wasn't real and you could tell other people did too? I think leaders actually do this all the time. And I would even tell you that... Christian leaders may be the greatest culprit of people that put a smile on their face when they don't feel a smile in their soul because they have this feeling or this obligation that they need to look positive, that they need to smile, that they need to have energy, that they should be happy, that they should be joyful, that they should be grateful. And all of that needing and shoulding and sense of obligation is just compounded by when they look at their situation, they're like, man, well, I own or run a business. I'm in a leadership position. I have incredible amounts of freedom. I'm probably paid pretty well. And so it's like, if I'm not feeling glad, like what the heck? Like I I don't have the luxury of not being happy all the time because look at everything that I get to experience. So I need, should have to be joyful all the time. But what I want you to know is that need and should are the language of shame. Anytime we're saying I'm not what I should be, we're exposing ourselves to shame. Now, there's a difference between toxic shame and healthy shame, and that's a whole other podcast episode that we could probably spend a lot of time on. But it's probably not helpful for us to just walk around with a fake smile because we feel like we need to, have to, or should be smiling all the time. So that kind of begs the question, what is proper? And as I was writing the content for this series, I really spent some time with that question. And I I really wanted to look and say, okay, well, what does the Bible say about this question? And how do we go about having a proper countenance that's needed to lead people well in a way that isn't toxic, unhealthy, and shame-filled? And what I landed on was Proverbs 15, 13. I think it's a really helpful guide to what and how we should be focused on this topic of countenance in a manner that's really healthy and sustainable. Because what does Proverbs 15:13 say? It says a glad heart makes a cheerful face. The King James version is a merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. I love the word maketh. We should be using the word maketh more often. And then finally the New International version says a happy heart makes a cheerful face. So we've already established in our time together today that there is benefit for you and others in you having a cheerful face. We know that, man, if you were able to make your default face a smile, and not a fake smile, but a real smile, it's gonna benefit you, but also that benefit is going to overflow into the lives of others. It's going to increase and amplify your ability to make a positive impact and therefore to lead. But we also said that it's really crucial that that cheerful face is sincere, that that smile isn't fake, that that smile is genuine and authentic. And and so where does a cheerful face come from? Well, if we look at all those translations, where does a cheerful face come from? It comes from a glad heart, a cheerful heart, or a happy heart. That new international version tells us where a cheerful face comes from. It's made by a happy heart. Proverbs 15, 13, a happy heart makes a cheerful face. Now remember, in the introduction episode, which if you haven't listened to that, I think that would be a really powerful thing after you're done listening to this one to go back and listen to because that really framed this entire conversation. But one of the things that we talked about in that introduction episode is that the way in Western culture that we think about the word heart is radically different than the way that in biblical times they thought about that word heart because heart for us oftentimes means our emotions. And back then when this was written in the Greek and the Aramaic, it did mean the emotions but it also meant so much more than the emotions it encompassed so much more and the hebrew word for this actually means something to the effect of the internal core of who you are it encompassed the will the intellect and the emotions it's very akin to your soul it's the center of your being and so let's look back at proverbs 15:13 one more time a happy heart makes a cheerful face. So if you can make your internal core happy, if you can make your internal core merry or glad, if you can invest in a happy heart, well, then the result of that, the ramifications of that, the fruit of that are going to be a cheerful face. And so what we want to remember as kind of like the thesis statement for the countenance episode is, if you want a cheerful face, invest in a happy heart. I'm going to say it again because it's so important. If you want a cheerful face, if you want to be the type of person that has light and energy in your eyes, if you want to be the type of person that has pep in your step, if you want to be the type of person whose default face is smile, invest, invest, invest in a happy heart because a cheerful face makes a happy heart. And so... It's in that context that I think it would be helpful for us to spend the remainder of this episode looking at another question. What are some habits of a happy heart? that's what we're going to look at and that's what we're going to examine. This is what I spent a lot of time with is, man, what are some habits that when I engage in these practices, when I engage in these actions, the result is a happy heart. Because if I can change my heart posture, if I can have a happy, cheerful, merry heart, well, that's going to be reflected on my face. And so what we're going to focus on is not just plastering on a fake smile and walking around distressed, depressed, and stressed, but having a smile on our face nonetheless. We're not going to do that. What we're going to say is what would it look like to cultivate, invest in, embody a happy heart? Because out of that is going to flow a cheerful face. And so we're going to walk through four habits of a healthy heart. Number one, remember God's faithfulness. Number two, invite God into your emotions. Number three, experience God's presence. And number four, allow other people to speak life into you. And so, these are going to be the four habits that will result in a happy heart, and that happy heart will result in a cheerful face. So, let's start with remember God's faithfulness. I found it so interesting that in my study for this content, I found that the word remember or some variation of the word remember is referenced over 250 times in the Bible. And almost always it's referenced as a command from God. It was Jesus that said whenever he was at the last supper and breaking the bread and giving the wine that he said, this is my body, which is for you do this in remembrance of me. And so clearly there is a value to remembering God's faithfulness. And one of the qualities and habits that we need to make sure we're applying ourselves to if we want a healthy, happy heart is gratitude. We've talked about this before on this podcast, that gratitude is literally an antidote to anxiety because whenever we engage and practice and internalize gratitude, the act of being thankful for that which we do not deserve, whenever we actually take time to not just know that, but rather to feel that, you know what happens psychologically and biologically? dopamine and serotonin increase. Your body is like flooded with those if you do this really well. And those are pleasure hormones, right? And you know what decreases? Cortisol, which is the stress hormone. So anytime you actively engage with an internalized gratitude, your body is flooded with serotonin and dopamine and simultaneously at the same time, your cortisol or your stress levels drop. And so that's why it's so crucial that we remember. Now, what do we want to remember? We want to remember God's faithfulness. Where did God provide for you? Where did God protect you? Where did God pave the way for you? Now, let's also talk about how this can be applied to leadership. There's a practice that I think leaders engage in that can be so unbelievably helpful for bringing your faith to your work. And that's the practice of public remembrance. I'm going to say it again. It's public remembrance of God's faithfulness. So what would it look like for you to consistently, on a rhythmic basis, remind your team of where God provided for you and provided for the business, where God protected you and protected the business, where God paved the way for you and paved the way for the business? Or what would it look like for you to challenge them to consider where God did those things in their life? Where did God protect, where did he provide, and where did he pave? Now, I can see how there might be people in different stages Business or different industries or different geographic locations that may say, okay, well, me just sitting down with my staff and saying, hey, where did God provide for you? It's like not all my staff believes in God. Some of my staff believe in a different God that I do, and some of my staff has no desire to talk about God. So what do I do there, right? And I think that's a brilliant question. I think it's really wise for you to be context sensitive. And so here's what I want you to do: instead of asking the question as where did God provide, just share the story of what happened, or just challenge them to remember and reflect on what happened. Because I've seen it happen over and over and over again, where when we just reflect on what we've been through, where we've been provided for, where we've been protected, the things that could have happened that didn't happen and the things that we thought weren't going to happen that did happen. Oh my gosh. When you actually remember and reflect, it's like, sometimes it's so miraculous what has occurred that my goodness, you don't need to say the word God because people can't help, but think the word God. This happened in our team meeting the other day where a Olivia, who's our coaching manager, had a portion of our team meeting where she was reflecting on where the coaching program in our business has been from the day we started all the way up to where it is now, because it's gone through just incredible iterations and transformations. And she showed all these pictures and she told all these stories. And it was such an incredible moment just for us all to sit and reflect. And she was just looking at a very practical observation of where we started and where we've been over the course of the business in the arena of coaching. And you know what I saw people put in the chat on Zoom. I saw team members of ours put in the chat, praise God. She didn't tell them to put that. She didn't ask them to put that in the chat. That was the impulsive response. Now, I'm not telling you that's going to happen in your team meeting. But what I am telling you is if you publicly remember where the business was, where the business is, where you were, where you are, where the team was, where the team is, where they individually were and where they are, where things were provided, where they were protected, where there was a way paved that it didn't look like there was a way. People almost can't help but point their eyes towards heaven. And so what do we want to do individually, but also collectively? We want to remember God's faithfulness because we are so prone to forget. And it's when we forget God's faithfulness in the past that it's hard to cultivate a happy heart in the present. But man, when you engross yourself and enmesh yourself and remember the goodness and glory and faithfulness and trustworthiness and steadfast loving kindness of God in your past, you are able to engage the present regardless of what it is with a heart that is joyful and content and happy. Let's go to the second habit of a healthy heart. Invite God into your emotions. I spent a lot of time thinking on this over the course of the past two years through a very specific lens, and that's through one of the Beatitudes that's found in Matthew 5, which is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And it's the second Beatitude that Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, this is a really interesting verse whenever you dig into the language that Jesus actually used, because the word blessed is the Greek word makarios. And the best definition that I've found from makarios is something like distinctive, observable, religious joy. So it's like a a sense of joy or contentment that is almost immeasurable, but it's certainly observable because it's related to engagement in some way with the divine. It's a joy that is imparted from without yourself that comes and enters into yourself, right? That's what it's like to be blessed. It's to live in communion with God and within and under his favor. And so that's a pretty good thing, right? Distinctive religious joy. And and then, but then what makes this verse really wildly interesting is it says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. The word for mourn there is something like deep seated grief. Like the type of grief that is associated with a loved one dying. And so, what this says is distinctively and outrageously joyful are those who are distinctively and outrageously sad, for they shall be comforted. <laughs> And you read that and you're like, oh my gosh, like what was Jesus saying there? This is such a classic Jesus move, right? He just pulls out these paradoxes that you can literally chew on for years and still not fully comprehend them. But I've spent a lot of time studying this and I've spent a lot of time reading it. I know I don't fully apply it yet, but I think I do more logically and intellectually understand it now. I think he was talking a lot about our awareness of our emotional state and how we deal with that emotion emotional state. And it was kind of in supplement to that verse that I found a message by Tim Keller really, really helpful. And in that message, Tim Keller talks about a responsible way for dealing with and responding to our emotions. And he says that there's kind of two paths that are often prevalent in culture today. There's the path that is often advocated by institutional religion. And that path says ignore your emotions. And specifically, it says ignore your negative emotions. It says Says that if you feel fear, if you feel shame, if you feel sadness, if you feel anger, don't you dare bring those out into the world. Certainly don't you dare bring them to church. Those emotions are bad and therefore you should keep them enclosed and bottled up inside you. And whatever you do, don't tell anyone about those emotions. We are supposed to ignore those emotions. Now, in most circles and spheres, they're not saying this message overtly, but they are sending this Message subvertly, right? That there are certain places you go into where you say, Oh, certain emotions aren't welcome here. Have you ever been in one of those places? You can tell almost the minute you walk into it, right? Because you see a bunch of plastered smiles everywhere you go. So he says, institutional religion often teaches us that we're supposed to ignore our emotions, but then we go out into the world and we go out into culture. And what is culture saying today? Well, culture is saying, follow your emotions, whatever you feel, go that way. And so if you feel angry, be and lash out in anger. If you feel fearful, cower in fear. If you feel glad, follow that gladness and that pleasure to its fullest extent. And and that's what culture will tell us is just follow your emotions. And here's what I'll tell you. Terrible life strategy. (laughs) Conceptually, it can actually sound pretty good. And it can, for a period of time, be very gratifying to follow your emotions. But it's not a good life strategy. It doesn't work out well. And, And so we're not supposed to ignore our emotions. It's also not helpful to strictly follow our emotions What are we supposed to do? And this was what was so brilliant about what Tim Keller presented. He said that there's a third way. He said that you are called, and I am called, to pray our emotions And so we're not supposed to ignore them. We're not supposed to follow them. We're supposed to pray them. And that prayer is meant to invite God into the emotion with us, that we are supposed to acknowledge the emotion as it is and invite God to guide us and shepherd us through that emotion. And I think that's what's going on with regard to blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. It's saying you can be supremely and distinctively joyful whenever you are supremely and distinctively sad because it's when you reckon with the fact that you are very sad, that there are things that are broken, that there are things that are hard, that there are things that are difficult, that you're ashamed of, that you're afraid of, that you're grieving. And you don't have to ignore those, but you also don't have to follow those. You can invite God into those. And you can sit with the one who controls it all and that knows that we live in an imperfect and fallen world but he is rescuing that world and you can sit with him in that and it's in the sitting, it's in the praying that you find comfort, that you find peace. And, you know, anytime I bring up this topic with a group of leaders, one of the questions that always comes up is like, man, what's a resource on this? What's a guide on this? Because, man, in all my time praying is what people will often say. I don't know that I've ever prayed like that. I don't know that I've ever prayed in such a way that I've invited God into the emotional reality and complexity of my life. And what's really cool is there's just such an incredible book that's written on this exact topic. And it's such just a a perfect guide on how to pray your emotions and invite God into those. And I just don't think honestly, anything could be written more perfectly. And and that book is called the book of Psalms. (laughs) I don't know if you were expecting that, but man, David just nailed it. And I think David is an incredibly relatable leader, Uh, Because when I read David, it's like, dude, that guy was on a freaking roller coaster. And it's like, you see days where he's like, praise God. He moves mountains. He forms the earth. He is the protector of my soul. In him, I will seek refuge. And then literally in the next sentence, he's like, where are you, God? My soul longs for you. Do not hide your face from me. And you read it and you're like, oh my gosh, this guy was a little bit of an emotional, like knee-jerk reaction, impulsive guy. He's so reactive. And he's so like, man, feeble and just goes all over the place. And then you start to spend some time with him. You say, oh my God, that's me. And you start to realize like, oh my goodness, David was not really an anomaly. David was just someone that put on paper what he was actually feeling. And what if you were the type of person that maybe put on paper, but certainly put in prayer what you are actually feeling? But then you didn't just follow those emotions and you certainly didn't ignore those emotions. You invited God into those emotions. Because what's so cool is if you read the Psalms through to their end, it always results in praise. David is always brought to a place where he remembers the God that's in control, the God that provides, and the God that protects and paves a way. And so if you're an impact-driven leader – I already know you're on an emotional roller coaster. And if you are someone that owns or runs a business, you are on an emotional roller coaster. Your faith is not going to be expressed in the way you ignore those emotions or the way you plaster a smile on your face in spite of those emotions. Your faith is going to be expressed and shown to the people that you work with every single day in the way you respond to and deal with those emotions. In the way you invite God into those and say, I can't do this on my own, but thankfully I know the one that can help me. Invite God into your emotions. Okay, let's move on to the third habit of a happy heart. We said that we're going to experience God's presence. This is a really important habit that is often overlooked by leaders, and I was thinking a little bit about why that's the case, and I think that it's because, number one, it can't really be measured, but number two, it doesn't really feel efficient right because how do you measure experiencing god's presence right what what is that even but then also like yeah it doesn't feel efficient and it may be the most effective thing in the world but it's like man what is this actually doing and i'll tell you the the reason why i think that that's one of the blockers to experiencing god's presence is because that's how i felt for a long time right when i would read verses like galatians 5:22 we've all heard this verse before but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We look at those and man, if you're a leader worth your salt, you look at those and you say, those are good things. That's, a, I mean, I, I love a good list, right? Because man, a good list is something that I can get after. It's something that I can accomplish. It's something that I can achieve. And when I see that list and whenever I first saw that list, I was like, I can get after that, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's the type of person I want to be. That's the type of man I want to be. That's the type of leader I want to be. Let's get after And so truly, I'm not even kidding you here. Whenever I first was exposed to that verse, it was in college, and I read Galatians 5, I got really excited about it. And this is old school, three on the Enneagram, Achiever Alex, that literally made a list of them in my journal. And I said, each day, I'm going to rank myself on a scale of one to 10 on how I did in each of those areas. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And I started doing this. I started literally listing them. And then I would rank myself. How did I do in peace? Oh, I was a, a seven in peace. And then how did I do in patience? I was a three in patience. How did I do in kindness? And I was a nine in kindness. And then how did I do in gentleness? I was a one in gentleness and I would rate myself. And what I found in the process of doing that was just something that was outrageously, incredibly irritating and frustrating is, man, I would focus a lot on love and joy and peace. And I would get close to like an eight or a nine, sometimes even a 10 on love and joy and peace. But anytime I would get good on love and joy, man, patience would take a hit, or gentleness would take a hit, or I'd get really good at self-control, but then whenever I was a 9 or a 10 on self-control, my love and joy and peace and patience went out the window. And so it was like playing whack-a-mole with the fruit of the spirit, and I was constantly having to shift my attention, and I could never get to a spot where I had all of those things at the same time. It just never happened. And honestly, I found myself more stressed the more I focused on it. And so it took me way too long to figure this out. But eventually, I went and actually read the Bible. That's a novel idea. And when I read the Bible, I came back to those verses and it says, but the fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And I read that verse again and I meditated on that verse again. And I started to ask the question, why can't I experience these at the same time? And one of the things that old school three on the Enneagram Achiever Alex realized is, man, you're pursuing the fruit. You're not pursuing the spirit. And when you pursue the spirit, the result is the fruit. The fruit that we talked about, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, that is the natural outcome of you experiencing and spending time with and being present with the Spirit of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Jesus in John 16 said, "But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away." The, you should put like a billion mind-blown emojis next to that sentence, right? "But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away." So Jesus is leaving his disciples. Jesus is leaving this earth and he's saying, "Hey, I'm just letting you know it's actually in your best interest that I leave." That I mean that should blow our minds. Why on earth would he ever say this? This is God walking the earth in human flesh and And he's saying, hey, it's actually better for you that I'm not here. What on earth? Why? Well, he explains why. He says, unless I go away, the advocate with a capital A will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you what is the advocate? Well, another translation is the helper. Another translation is the Holy Spirit. Unless I go away, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now there's a triune God, right? There's the father, there's the son, and then there's the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus is saying here is, man, the spirit can't dwell inside you unless I leave this earth. And so it takes me leaving this earth for the spirit to dwell inside of you. But now you have this spirit of God inside of you, that there's a part of the divine inside of you that you can access at all times. But the thing is, is as a leader and as a person, so often I don't access the spirit that's been readily given to me. Instead, I try to pursue fruit. Don't pursue the fruit, pursue the spirit and just prepare to have your socks knocked off by the fruit that grows as a result. And so this is what I'm talking about when I say experience God's presence. And I really believe this. This this is not something that feels efficient. It's not something that you can measure. But do you have time in your day, maybe even throughout your day, where you can close your eyes, where you can breathe, and where you can access the spirit of God that's been made readily available to you? This can get a little bit mystical This can get a little bit too mystical for people's religious boxes, but I would challenge you to press into that because God's talking, God's acting, God's moving. The question is, are you paying attention? Experience God's presence because I will tell you something happens whenever a leader becomes prayerful. Something happens whenever a leader dedicates time in their morning to experiencing God's presence, and they don't have to go into their workplace or to their office or onto the job site and start reading scripture or start talking about the message at church. It's almost like the Spirit of God flows out of them, and people can't help but question what's going on because they experience such love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Stop talking about your testimony. Start living your testimony. Don't feel the need to share scripture. Start living scripture. Allow people to experience the fruit of the spirit from you. And then don't be surprised whenever they start to ask you questions like, How on earth are you so peaceful? How on earth are you so joyful? Why on earth do you care so much? And boy, that opens the door to the conversations that matter most. Experience God's presence. And then the final habit of a happy heart that we're going to focus on is allowing other people to speak life into you. It was so interesting. I literally had just finished writing this content the other morning and I finished with this bullet point, allow other people to speak life into you. And it was after that, that I opened up my email and this was in the morning and I hadn't yet checked my email that morning. And I opened up my email and I found in my email, seven really sincere, genuine, authentic notes from team members. We've just finished probably one of the greatest content projects we've ever produced as a company. And it was probably one of the greatest sustained efforts that I've ever contributed myself to in my career. It's the path for growth fundamentals and all the lessons associated with that. We worked so hard on it. and, And just the teamwork that was involved, the unity that was involved. It's one of the things that I'm just most grateful for right now in terms of what we've been able to create. And there's so many areas where you can just see evidence of God's faithfulness throughout these fundamentals and so cool that we now have this package put together to share with our customers and to share with the members of the Path for Growth community. And I'm so proud of the work that the team has done. But I'll tell you, at the end of that, I was exhausted. I have never worked so hard for so long on the same thing ever. And it's something that I care deeply about. And it's just something that I poured myself into. And it was just such a joy and such an encouragement to open up my email and see that Olivia on our team had arranged for every team member to take some time to write a couple paragraphs of affirmation and encouragement towards me. And they weren't just encouraging what I did. They were encouraging who I was. Now, it can be really easy if you're a leader of a business to pretend like you don't want that. And I think the reason why we often pretend that we don't want that is because we like to pretend that we don't need that. We like to pretend that I'm the type of leader that doesn't need to be encouraged by my team. I'm the type of leader that doesn't need to be encouraged by external sources. And in doing so, we're saying, I've got this. And I've got this is a statement related to pride. Here's what's true about me. I love what I get to do. I love the people that I get to do it with. I love the mission that we are on. And there are some times where I just get really, really, really tired and I need to be encouraged. That's not pride. That's humility. And what I want you to know is there are times where you need to be encouraged. Because what is in courage? It's to fill with courage And you need to allow other people to speak life into you. And the word allow there, I chose very intentionally because I see examples all the time of leaders who do not allow this. That anytime someone on their team or anytime someone in their family or anytime someone externally tries to encourage them, they block it, they deflect it, they fight it, they don't accept it. And in doing so, they don't allow other people to speak life into them. Here's a great way to respond to encouragement and affirmation that's sincere and genuine. I have a friend that anytime you give him a compliment or anytime you really genuinely say, hey man, you did this or you are this and I just want to call that out in you, he literally just says, received, thank you. And that's really powerful, especially if he's embodying that in his heart, right? Because he's not deflecting. He's not making some self-deprecating joke. He's not putting down the gifts that God gave him. He just says, received, thank you. And there's some courage that you need to be filled with. There's some courage that you need to receive. So allow other people to speak life into you because that's an expression of humility. What is humility? To have an accurate viewpoint of oneself, So let's review the four habits of a happy heart. Remember God's faithfulness, not just individually, but also publicly. Where did God provide? Where did God protect? And where did God pave a way? Invite God into your emotions, because the answer is not to ignore your emotions. It's also not to follow your emotions. It's to pray your emotions and invite the God of the universe into them so that you may experience comfort. You're going to experience God's presence because this is not just a logical thing. This is a deeply spiritual and soulful thing. And it's when we engage with the presence of the Holy Spirit that's within us and around us that we're able to express the fruit of that spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And then finally, we're going to allow other people to speak life into us because as a leader, you need to be encouraged. And here's the deal, the result of that If you can engage with those habits, not just occasionally, but consistently, if you can apply yourself to those habits of a happy heart, the result of that is going to be a cheerful face. The result of that is going to be a countenance that is so joyful, that is so just absolutely abounding with confidence and love and hope that people can't help but notice what's going on and say, man, I want to get in on that. Because if you, spend time every day as it relates to these habits, reflecting on the fact that you believe that sin was defeated, that freedom was won in Christ's life, death, and resurrection, and that the kingdom of God is actively invading this world, and that you have a role to play, it just makes sense that your face would show that reality, right? That person that deeply believes that and is deeply ingrained and enmeshed in that belief, you think they're going to walk around looking like they're stressed, depressed and distressed, like they're frantic, fractured, feeble, and weak. No, they're going to walk around with a joyful face. They're going to walk around with a smile. Not because they're doing some dumb social experiment, but because they have a living hope with inside them that just can't help but overflow to the world around them. And what's so cool is that that joy is sincere, authentic, and genuine because it comes from a happy heart. We said that the first way that your faith is revealed in your work is through your excellence. And the second way that your faith is revealed in your work is through your countenance, through the way that you show up. And keeping with the rhythm that we've set up in how we close these episodes, I want to share a prayer for your countenance. God, I pray that you would cultivate in us a happy heart. Make us and mold us into men and women and leaders who shine light into dark places. Help us to be grateful for the ways that you've been faithful in the past. Help us to be intentional about how we experience you in the present. Help us to be hopeful about your promises for the future and allow the good news that is stored up in our heart to be expressed on our face. It's in your holy and gracious name we pray, amen. Y'all, if you can't tell, I'm just uh, having such a ball of writing this series and then also delivering this series. I hope that it's helpful for you. If you want to get more content, like the content that we put in these podcast episodes, I send out written content every single week in our email called Worth It Wednesday. This is some of my favorite writing that I get to do every single week. And the reason why we call it Worth It Wednesday is because I don't really like email. So we said if we are going to send an email, it better be worth it. So every Wednesday, you're going to get a principle worth learning, a question worth answering, and a recommendation. Worth taking. So many of you are already part of that growing community. I'm just so grateful for that. So, if you want to join that Worth It Wednesday email list, you can sign up in the show notes of this episode or by going to pathforgrowth.com. Y'all know this. We're grateful for you. We're praying for you. We're rooting for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.